0: Hello, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux for Freedom Made Radio. I am thrilled and delighted to have Janet Heimlich on the show. For those who don't know, uh, it was your grandfather who actually invented the Heimlich maneuver.
1: No, my father.
0: Your father who invented the Heimlich maneuver. And so, for, for those reasons, uh, she declined my uh, invitation to a dinner interview uh, because I was intending on eating a fishbone sideways and just seeing how well this thing worked. Uh, so she has, I think, quite wisely decided to do it remotely. And uh, I will still be eating a fishbone later in the show, Enjoy but. It. Um, so we'll see how well the remote Heimlich works. Uh, so uh, you've written a, a very powerful and grim, I mean, I, I, you know, there's no other way to put it. It is, it is hard reading. Uh, I think it is important reading. Uh, the book, of course, is Breaking Their Will. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, dare I say, the genesis of this project.
1: I've been... A journalist for quite a long time. Mostly I was working in radio. I, I reported for National Public Radio as a freelancer for quite some years. And and I had have done quite a bit of investigative journalism writing articles. It wasn't until I came across this topic though I felt it really needed to be a book, uh, simply because even though it's something everyone kind of knows about, thinks they understand, and may have actually experienced, it's never been given a name, and I feel that uh, the research that's been needed to understand religious child maltreatment has never been compiled into a volume, so uh, given it's uh, the dearth of information that's been uncovered, I, I felt that it had to, to be a book. And I, I really became interested in the topic, just as I have other topics uh, where I feel like There was injustice happening and uh, not enough people understood how it was happening. And uh, largely I I came across the topic, as most people have, uh, by by hearing about some of these horrendous high profile cases in which children have been severely harmed through uh, extremist and authoritarian type religious beliefs.
0: Right. And I I really wanted to compliment you. I mean, obviously, you're an excellent writer, but I thought that the book was very even-handed. And of course, when you focus on a topic like religious child maltreatment, the... Natural reaction of some people is to say, Oh, so you're saying that only religious people mal- maltreat their children. And I think you're very clear in pointing out that religion can have some salutary effects on children in terms of community and uh, helping them through stressful periods and so on. And of course, what you're trying to do is, if I understand the project correctly, is to fill a gap in our understanding of child maltreatment, that there seems to have been this, dare I say, Moses-like parting of the Red Sea when it comes to examining how religiosity can affect uh, people's parenting negatively. Is that is that a fair way to to characterize what you've been up to?
1: Yes, it is. Uh, I, I'm, a lot of the criticism I get uh, from people who are very pious, uh, they initially want to remind me that child abuse and neglect happens everywhere, that it is not just in religious homes. Uh, I recently met with an attorney general who, when I was trying to uh, talk him into getting a bill together that would require clergy to be mandated reporters, uh, his response was, well, you know, pedophilia is everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, why, why do we need to have any statutes that pertain uh, just to, in this case, religious leaders. I actually was asking him just to get rid of a, a privilege that was only for uh, Catholic priests in, in the in the law, and uh, not 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 uh, singling anybody out as having you know having to to uh, abide by stricter laws than other people. Um, but but the fact is that um, we we know a lot about abuse and neglect in terms of the different risk factors. Poverty is a big one. Mental illness, of course and uh, and many other factors. What I, I feel just needs to be better understood is when the risk factor is religious belief.
0: Right. No, so let's. Um, I just want to quote a few statistics from the book which I think are always worth reviewing, and um, of course you give good reasons for focusing on the U.S. Uh, in your book. But of course more than 80% of Americans belong to one religion or, or another. More than half of Americans say religion is very important in their lives, and more than a quarter of Americans say they attend church at least once a week. 86% of Americans believe in God, a universal spirit, a higher power, and so on. More than 80% believe in heaven. Nearly 70% believe in hell, and 70% believe in the devil. And they're more likely to believe in the devil, hell, and angels than in Darwin's theory of evolution. And a higher percentage of Americans firmly reject the concept of evolution than do those living in any of the 32 European countries and Japan. More than three-quarters... Of Americans believe God sometimes intervenes to cure people who have a serious illness. More than 40% of Americans believe Jesus will return to earth within the next 40 years. It's very specific. And more than one-third of Americans believe the Bible is the word of God. Uh, and the progress in in pushing back some of this religiosity, at least from the agnostic or atheist perspective, has been somewhat lacking. And so, although the Bible doesn't have a lot in it uh, pertaining to parent-child relationships, how to raise children... There, I think it would be crazy to say that the most influential book in the world, really, if you count the Old Testament, and certainly in the West, if the Old and the New Testament, does not have an effect on how parents uh, interact with their children. And you outlined some of the effects in the book. I was wondering if you could, um, could go through those. And sorry, just before we move on, I want to make sure uh, religiouschildmaltreatment.com uh, is the website where people can review uh, and, and order the book, if I remember rightly.
1: That is correct. Also, Breakingthewill.com will take you there well I uh, you know wasn't a big Bible reader before I started researching this um, but uh, my main focus when I was turning to the Bible was to just see what the book said or I should say the series of books said says about children um, for starters it, it, it really doesn't say a whole lot um, some some passages uh, refer to children in a positive light but vast uh majority of them uh pr- look at children in in a negative light and and I think that you know it's not unreasonable to see why that would be certainly uh, hundreds of years ago the issue uh, of children's rights was uh, not on the tip of everyone's tongue and um you know when i i uh, look i i point out in the book that the the Ten commandments which uh people many people consider to be uh the you know, if you're going to follow any set of rules, you can stick to the Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments mention the word children once. And uh, all all it says really is that uh, for those that disobey God, it's the children and in future generations that will be punished for their iniquities. So the Ten Commandments doesn't even speak, speak to parenting at all. One thing that I bring out in the book is that these problems uh, of abuse and neglect don't exist in every uh, religious family's home or in every religious community. It's, it, is, it is clearly only happening in what I call religious authoritarian cultures, which we can talk about. But one thing that I found very common in religious authoritarian cultures, whether they be places of worship, communities, or, or individual households, is that uh, when they do look to the Bible for parenting, they seem to skip over a a lot of the uh, wonderful passages that speak to children in in very glorious and glowing ways. Uh, Instead, they want to adhere to Proverbs in the Old Testament, which uh, clearly promotes an authoritarian type of parenting. And uh, using what it calls the rod, uh, which some people interpret to mean, uh, wisdom and that kind of thing. But clearly there are some uses of the, of that term that, uh, speak to corporal punishment. Uh, the book of Proverbs, which was supposedly written by Solomon, uh, you know, d- does not, uh, have more than maybe a couple of passages, which I think any current, uh Uh, Expert in child development would say are beneficial to a a parent child relationship.
0: Right. So uh, uh, there's two sides of the coins of where you consider the most potential for religious child mistreatment to occur is in the authoritarian slash obedience. I mean, these are two sides of the same coin. You're heavily authoritarian because there's this perception, of course, in some households that children are born malevolent and selfish and corrupt and infected with original sin and prone to all sorts of devilry and it is really an act of compassion on the part of the parent to sort of thrash the demonic aspect of children out of their hides to save them from everlasting damnation and this desire to which of course is embedded in the title of the book to break the will of the child is very very explicit in a lot of christian teachings uh, not just christian but jewish and muslim teachings as well to, to break the will of the child, to have them become obedient to God through the parent. Uh, and I think it's this is where you identify the, the, the great uh, risk factor for abuse. Is, is that fair to say?
1: Um, yes, I, I certainly believe that. I have a chapter called An Obsession with Child Obedience. And I see that definitely across the board in, in many different faiths. And so I provide examples of that, as you were pointing out, in in Christian households where they look upon children as being sinful, just as they do all humans. Um, And they, I'm talking about fairly conservative Christians. Um, I, you know, I was talking to a a former principal of a Christian school who, you know, just casually went on about when a a baby cries that's sin. Um, If you uh, perceive children in that light, then it's easy to see how, this this need to overcome them and overpower them and control them uh, using corporal punishment can lead to abuse. And the idea that children can be cleansed of sin through physical punishment is, is clearly been a problem in a number of criminal cases where children have unfortunately uh, been beaten to death uh, due, due to these beliefs. Now, you know, certainly you can say that, well, some of these perpetrators might have been uh, mentally ill and that kind of thing. But uh, very often when they go to stand trial, you find that it's not just one crazy perpetrator. It's actually a, a couple or perhaps a group from a church. And they're not found to be insane. They're found competent to stand trial. They're not found guilty by reason of insanity. So I just think that some of these extremist beliefs do play a big role.
0: Well, I think it would be pretty specious of any ideological or religious group to uh, have in their holy texts unbelievably cruel commandments towards children and endless depictions of child abuse in the bible sanctioned by some of the holiest if not the most holy characters in the bible and to have exhortations like spare the rod spoil the child the the famous one of course where uh, in Deuteronomy 13 people as you as you quote should kill family members or friends who as much as suggest worshiping gods other than the um, the Old Testament God, uh, the the book is the Bible is riddled with threats and actual acts of violence against children, as you as you uh, write, including murder, animal attacks, rape, incest, and cannibalism, uh, and of course the violence is carried out by humans, uh, but in a number of instances they're on God's orders and God himself commits some of the acts. So to have a whole series of commandments and depictions in the holiest of texts that are incredibly abusive towards children for christians or other religious people to say well this has no effect on how we parent to me is is to be a cherry picker that's almost schizophrenic which is to say well the commandments of of the, you know this whole series of commandments from the deity uh, and in the book have no effect and and that's to say that the book has no effect because it's all over the place in the book and i find that to be a bit of a guarded and and not very honest response
1: yeah i uh advocate in, in the book to, for, for people to, to not worship or glorify the Bible in its entirety, to, to use a little critical thinking, to decide for yourself as a parent, as a member of the clergy, or just anyone that spends time with children, to find passages that you think speak to, uh, raising children in a compassionate way, Uh, I can't see how the story of Abraham nearly, nearly um, stabbing to death his son is a good tale that benefits society. And yet for those that feel compelled to only swallow the whole book uh, you know, like, like this precious pill um, and not be able to look at it uh, and decipher any anything other than that, uh, you know, I, I think that... that that, that can only um, lead to, to, to problems when it comes to perceiving children in a positive way, to treating children in a way uh, that recognizes their rights as human beings.
0: Right. And I, I, in my particular perspective uh, is that religion tends to act as a hyper-accelerant to existing personality traits. So uh, there have been studies where people who are more fearful tend to be more Old Testament, and people who are more affectionate tend to be more New Testament. But the problem, of course, is that, uh, and you quote some examples of this in the book, where people went, to uh, children went from relatively benign, if not hands-off, Households to very intrusive and controlling households when their parents became religious. But uh, if you are somebody who has, you know, say, been physically abused and has that tendency, finding the divine commandment to spare the rod, spoil the child. I know that's not in the Bible, but that's how it's generally interpreted. But finding that commandment is not exactly going to put the brakes on your natural tendencies. On the other hand, if you're a kind, generous, charitable person, finding the example of of Jesus and so on is probably, you know, and looking at th- that particular silhouette is going to accelerate those tendencies in you. And so I really want to point out that it tends to be an accelerant. In other words, if you're going in the right direction, it help get you there faster. But if you're going in the wrong direction, it really seems to grease the slope.
1: Well, um, I do take issue with people that say that there, there are no... Um passages in the, in the New Testament that uh, don't reflect uh, well on children or that anything Jesus said was uh, what, wonderful in terms of uh, feeling loving towards children because uh, that's just simply not true. Um, when Jesus says, I come bearing a sword and I don't come in peace and my purpose is to uh, separate girls from their mothers and boys from their fathers uh, children will learn to worship me over their parents. Well, that is just what cult leaders say. I'm not saying that Jesus actually said that, but that is what he says in the Bible. So I do have some issues with some of the things that are said in the New Testament and specifically what Jesus is said to, to have said. But the, the other thing I want to point out is um, there, there are a lot of folks that uh, really have the blinders on when it comes to looking at faith in a critical way. Um, oftentimes they'll say, well, you know, if somebody is leaning towards abusing children, they're going to find some justification for it, whether it's religious or or something else. And and that's certainly true, true for some people. However, I've interviewed a number of people who uh, I don't think were that way at all. They were not sadistic and that kind of thing. They simply grew up in an environment where those kinds of attitudes towards children and those kinds of uh, methods for treating children were just part of the culture, and then later on, when they got out of it, they looked back in horror at what they had done. So, you know, I I think that it, it's not necessarily that somebody might have some inner driving need to 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 do harm, and so then they're they're only going to look at ways to justify it, uh, looking at scripture. I, I do think that just a uh, back to the idea of the religious authoritarian culture, I think can can can. Uh, spawn bad parents uh, those who might otherwise be uh, terrific parents. The problem with religious authoritarian cultures is they sap autonomy from from parents. Uh, they they uh, don't help foster parents' natural instinct to care for their children. Instead, uh, there's there there are all these rules and um, restrictions placed on parents to to obey certain rules and treat their children a certain way. Um, so um i i feel when when we when we take away those those restrictions and we just allow parents to to decide for themselves uh, how they're going to to discipline how how they're going to treat their kids uh, and we don't let these um, uh, outside influences uh, interfere uh you know we have a lot less to worry about
0: yeah, and I mean, I don't think, on the one hand, most religious people would argue, and, and I would actually quite accept that, that Christianity is the foundation for the vast majority of Western thought and opinions, and then say, well, except for bad parenting, then it has no effect, then it's simply in a manifestation of existing personality traits and has no capacity to shape ideas or behavior. Uh, that's, I don't know, that's just parting the parting the river a little bit too close to uh, something which really needs to be dealt with, to my taste. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that, that's the, the theory that, well, it's only these few bad apples that, that really should, should be blamed, you know, just like those that say, well, the Catholic Church has nothing to do uh, as, a, as a system for, for um, uh, allowing, you know, pedophilia and sexual abuse to, to continue in that institution. Instead, we should just, we should just look at these, these mentally ill clergy, these individuals, and we should, we should just punish them and get those few bad apples out of the way and then all would be fine. Well, clearly we know that's not the case.
0: Right, right. And just to, to talk about the scope, of course, um, child abuse is, I mean, when, you, when you dig into it, and, and these are even with just the criminal definitions of child abuse, which some people would argue, um, the psychohistorians like Lloyd DeMoss would argue, is not quite comprehensive, not close to comprehensive enough. You know, it's over a $100 billion a year problem uh, in the U.S. alone. Five children every day uh, die, die. From neglect or, or abuse, and of course these are not all within religious households, but um, it is it is a huge, huge problem uh, in society. I mean, the, the rape or sexual molestation of girls and boys—you hear statistics: uh, three in five girls, one to two in five boys. I mean, it's it's incredibly prevalent, incredibly problematic. And one of the things that you point out—and I certainly don't fault the church or religious institutions alone in this—but they do seem to have uh, escaped some. Targeting or some recognition in this area is the degree to which they are not vigilant for signs of child abuse and intervene, which really an ethical moral community must be uh, on the lookout for such a prevalent problem and intervene wherever possible. But you provide quotes of pastors in the book who say, oh, in my 30 years of of mentoring this congregation, I've never seen any child mistreated once. And that's statistically so close to impossible that that you can't even calculate it. Um, so what are the issues within religious communities of not uh, opening up and, and dealing with issues uh, of child abuse, but rather covering up or, or neglecting them?
1: Yeah, the, the difficulty that people have with facing the issue of child abuse has been around a long time. Um, uh, certainly not religious people that have a problem with uh, dealing with it, uh, with reporting it, and that, that kind of thing. Um, However, if you if you look at say a public school where it, it, there's a child that's being abused, um, you are you may have some cover up. You, you may have um, oh a particular uh, principal that you know wants to maintain the reputation of the of the school and and or may may not be as educated on child abuse issues and and not do to what he or she should do. But it, it's nothing compared to what you would see in a religious authoritarian environment where the the need to uh, separate uh, the group or the community from outsiders is intense. Uh, The need to preserve the uh, reputation of the group, the need to uh, prevent outsiders from finding out the flaws because there's this fear of being persecuted. Um, So you have, even if a group is located in, in, in an urban environment, you have this separation that uh, oftentimes works against children, because those on the outside that are there to protect children, be them police officers or welfare workers um, and others, don't find out about these crimes happening. So you'll, you'll see uh, abuse of, of, of various kinds, uh, not just happening uh, frequently and not being dealt with, but go, you know, continuing on uh, generation after generation.
0: Right. Now, you've also talked about some of the studies that show that, you know, regular old vanilla child abuse, when combined with religiosity, seems to be uh, particularly damaging, uh, psychologically in particular. I mean, I think the argument for that, there's probably many, but one that pops into my mind is that. Uh, it's metaphysical abuse in a sense that so if you have some abuser in your household you can at least go to the mall and you're away from that abuser you have privacy you can go climb a tree you can go for a walk or so you can find some place to escape but in the place where god can see you everywhere god judges everything you do and these are the religious commandments you have to hold in a sense you end up in this ultimate a big brother state where nothing is private nothing is personal and in a sense there's no place to escape to to have any kind of res- respite from this kind of um uh, monitoring or this kind of surveillance, and I mean that's one of many possible reasons for it. But you have, I think, uh, quoted some quite compelling studies about how uh, child abuse combined with religiosity seems to be uh, extra toxic.
1: Yeah, when when it comes to um, indoctrination of children, isolation of children, um, when that is in, infused with with religious belief, you, you have something called uh, exploitation. Um, when, it, when it's, I, I combine that with with isolation, two forms of emotional abuse, because um, that's frequently found in some of these uh, uh, homeschooling type environments, uh, where not only is the child kept away from, say, mainstream media or getting close to people that are not part of the belief system, but you also have the religion more or less shoved down their throats, so that you know every everything in their their life is 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 viewed through that prism. Um, so, so, uh, you're, you're, you're not, you're not allowing the child to develop in a way that that is healthy. So uh, a lot of times people will say, you know, uh, that, well, having any kind of religion in a child's life can be abusive. You know, I, re- I do take issue with that. It, it really comes down to whether or not you cross over a line of, uh, a clinically accepted form of, of, uh, emotional maltreatment, which is exploitation. I mean, that, that is, that is really, what is so psychologically damaging? Uh, once you control the child's mind in that way, uh, then 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 there's really really no place for them to go, as you say. Um, and 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 if they do get out, um, it, it's it's going to be years and years of, of therapy to to be able to deal with that in in a healthy way. A lot of people I interviewed, you know, even those that were in so called cults or that kind of thing. Oh, they were, say, 18 when they left this conservative Amish group where they they, they got out of this uh, very confining household uh, where, where everyone lived and breathed the religion. I mean, they, they talked about just interacting with other people on the outside or doing very uh, commonplace things as a way that was was, was extremely difficult. Uh, one guy said, you know, he didn't know how to order a beer. And he's With a group of people he's working with, and he doesn't know how to do that. I mean, we're talking the most basic language skills, and it wasn't that he just wasn't allowed to drink beer. It's that uh, they that that he didn't grow up in, in an environment where he was permitted to go to a restaurant and order it for himself. There is uh, there are extreme controls put on children uh, for the good of the overall community uh, without enough attention paid to the children's individual needs.
0: And yeah, I mean, I, I, not not to single out religion, but my perspective and it was reinforced i'm not going to say you agree with it but it was certainly reinforced by some aspects of the books and i was really really reading in a very concentrated way to not fall prey to confirmation bias and and that's why i really wanted to point out the the balance and and even-handed approach that you took but i think about whether it's religious or not the more irrational and sort of counter-empirical a belief system is The more aggressive it has to be with children. I mean, as a stay-at-home dad of now three and a half years, my daughter is relentlessly empirical, uh, you know, does not believe in things she can't see, uh, tries to integrate all new knowledge into her existing stable of knowledge. And if you, you know, say, well, Santa isn't real, but Jesus is. And, you know, you're going to burn in hell and all this kind of stuff. It's really tough for kids to process that because, I mean, it's not, does not accord with their, the empirical evidence of their senses or, or reason itself. And I think then you kind of have to pile up a bit more, a bit more aggression. And I think that the households where religiosity is not as damaging or may even be positive in some ways, you know, Jesus loves you. Uh, we're happy for everything we had and uh, have and let's help the poor. I mean, that's really hard to, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, the the methodology may not be sound, but the conclusions are, you know, uh, it's a good place to be. We like to help others and let's be grateful for the good things we have in our life. Uh, that's hard to, it's hard to really criticize. But, uh, you know, and I imagine sort of rabid fascist or nazi or communist households would have a similar problem though they may be much more atheistic where if you have an an irrational belief system that is very uh, high stakes you know like we have to believe this we have to beat the original sin out of you we have to get keep the devil away from you or you or i or both of us are going to burn in hell forever that makes makes things kind of so high stakes that i can see how that can lead to much more of a, a slippery slope towards harming the child. And, and as you point out in the book, um, the, more, uh, the more than a quarter of religious-related victims in, in one study had come to the belief that their abuses were religiously justified. And sorry for that <laughs> long, hopefully not too oh. rambling rant, but uh, I think that the, the, the more insistent and high stakes the irrationality, the more you really have to threaten or scare the child into believing something that just goes against the evidence of their senses.
1: Uh, I agree. You know, it is sometimes difficult to to draw lines to say, you know, what what rises to the level of emotional maltreatment or psychological neglect and that kind of thing. Uh, but I I can certainly say for myself, philosophically, that I don't believe it's right for any parent to to tell children things that either they believe to be false um, I certainly am not going to look my child straight in the eye and say there's a Santa Claus and a tooth fairy and, and what happened. Um And at the same time, I don't think it's right for a parent to say something is true when they don't know it to be true. So to say that um, God is uh, thinking good thoughts about you or, um, you know, uh, God wants this for you or, you know, we we all are going to... Uh, turn to this spirit, and the spirit is such and such, and this is what the spirit's like, and, well, they don't know that. How could they know that? That is, It it is not something that can be known by a human being. So so philosophically, I have a big problem with that myself.
0: Yeah, and I I think for children, if not for adults, uh, in the law, I mean, the secular law, let alone the moral law, threats are not wildly separate from actions. In other words, if I threaten to go strangle your cat, uh, that's obviously a, a bad thing to do and probably a criminal offense in most places. I don't actually have to go and strangle your cat. And and the issue I have, I mean, there are two particular tenets that I was taught when I was very little that I really had to struggle my way free of. The first, of course, is that uh, Jesus died for my sins, you know, when I was three or two or whatever it was when I was first introduced to the concept. Uh, that, you know, that the best and most noble human being in the universe was nailed to a cross of agony because I had done something bad before I was born or someone else had done something bad that I was responsible for. I mean, that's a pretty heavy load to put on a, on a young mind. Uh, and the second, of course, is um, is the threat of hell. I mean, uh, you know, if, 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 if an adult were to threaten to throw a child into a fire, that would clearly be criminal and egregious abuse. Uh, the fact that the, the the parent is introducing a, a supreme being who is going to throw the child into a fire that never ends uh, to me is only an escalation of, of that kind of threat. And, uh, I mean, James Joyce writes about this in Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man and a truly terrifying uh, a sequence on on descriptions of hell. And you point one out in your book about the woman, uh, I think it was from the 19th century, the, the woman with the, the the cap on fire that burned and never consumed her and a whole body was burning and so on. These are very vivid for, for children. And I think that the the condemnation uh, of original sin on children and the resulting or i guess associated threat of hell to me uh, is is very detrimental to to a child's sense of security and and well-being
1: I, I i agree and i do think that there is a huge disconnect in certainly in american culture where when a child is abused or neglected and and Neglect is the most common form of maltreatment. But when, when those things are happening, if religion is infused in there, somehow it gets a pass. Somehow it's considered to be fine. Uh, there was one case that I came across where this woman chained her son, it was a teenager, to a bed you know, for like two days and beat him and all this kind of thing. It was all done as part of an exorcistic ritual. And the judge actually dropped the case because he thought that her belief pretty much matched what everybody else in the community felt about Satan and that kind of thing.
0: Um, what was the quote? It was something like, you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody in this county who doesn't believe in the existence of Satan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I applaud you for actually Chili. finding that quote. It's, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, but uh, you see countless examples of this bias uh, where 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 children who are abused religiously, uh, uh, where, where the perpetrators are not being punished. Another example is the Amish, where they're allowed to take their kids out of school after the eighth grade. And I don't see any reason why you know, the, the Supreme Court uh, saw, and there was one dissent uh, to that, uh, that decision. That's brilliant. And I wish people would read that, because uh, he foresaw exactly what would happen. But uh, basically, they were saying that uh, children who are not raised with this particular kind of belief system, they need an education. They need a high school education. So it's fair that it's required for those children. But these children that are raised the, the Amish way, they're not going to get that, that kind of right. Uh, so this uneven playing field, uh, uh, you know, I find very bothersome. Uh, one of the, the, the worst examples of that uh, is religious medical neglect where nearly every state in this country, uh, due to the uh, power of the Christian Science Church uh, during the 70s, uh, passed these laws that uh, allowed parents whose children died from faith-healing-type medical neglect to be immune from prosecution. And these children suffered horrendously. We never even found out about a lot of those cases because they never went to trial. Well, I am them mm-hmm. in the book because... You know, the you know the, the, there are just so many examples uh, mostly those who a been uh, cases uncovered by former members of say the Christian Science church and and some of these other churches uh, but but again, I mean to to say that we're going to let a child die a horrific death just because um, the what was in the per- the perpetrators' heads had, had, had to do with some kind of disbelief to me seems uh, uh really outrageous.
0: It is. It is. I, I want to mention something. I mean, I got a lot out of your book, and I, I highly recommend it to people. Um, but one of the really interesting aha moments that I had, and, and and you do talk about this in the book, so I don't want to make this about me. But, um, you know, we we have this standard in in the West, which has been around for, oh, gosh, I mean, centuries, really, but, but in popular culture and in sort of the mainstream way of thinking for about probably 40 or 45 years which is that abuse is a deal-breaker in relationships. You know, significant, long-term, serious abuse is a deal-breaker in long-term relationships. And we recognize this, you know, with, with husbands and wives. If the wife has been abused by the husband for many years, then she should probably get out and get help and get therapy and so on. But the, there's an area, though, where we, with adult children and their own parents where this is just unthinkable. And, and you point this out in the book, that the biblical, the biblical commandment to honor thy mother and thy father does not take into account whether or not they're abusive. And it's something, because, you know, in, in my sort of show, a couple of times people have called in complaining of abuse, and I've sort of said, well, you don't know, get, get to therapy, you know, and so on. But remember, you know, if they're real monsters, you don't actually have to see them as an adult. It's not a legal requirement that you see your parents and so on, which would be uncontroversial if it were a sort of marital relationship, but between adult children and their parents. And, and so just the way that you explicated this in the book, which I thought was really good, it just gave me this kind of a, oh, well, it, it comes from this commandment, which doesn't take into account any issues of abuse. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it certainly serves many parents well if they want to control their children. Um, There is actually one passage in Corinthians that says, you must honor your parents in all things. I mean, you know, the idea being there are no exceptions. Uh, There are no exceptions if your parents are abusive, if they're so mentally ill they can't take care of you. Uh, I I mean, the list goes on. Um, You know, I, I do think, too, that that a lot of people just you know if they were abused as children um they're 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 so uh, st- struggling and desperate for their parents love and affection uh, it's ingrained in them to such a degree and Alice Miller writes about this a lot that um that they really do have a hard time looking at those adults that they do love in, and and see them for for what they've actually done to them that's that's psychologically Uh, I'm sure an extremely difficult, difficult thing, but, um, we, we also have to acknowledge that part of that comes from this, uh, this, this indoctrination of this, of this idea that, uh, that, that, that children, their, their duty is to, to honor parents in, in all things. And, and then as far as the, the relationships you talked about, I mean, you do see the same kind of thing in these authoritarian cultures because they're always patriarchal and, so you have these religious doctrines that support uh, the idea that 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 a woman doesn't have a uh, doesn't have the right to question her husband so you know you you do have women who are abused uh, having a uh, real difficulty in in looking at that that person they've married and and criticizing them or, or viewing them in a healthy way
0: oh yeah and and again I, I think you you captured this beautifully in the book well beautifully may not, compellingly um where you talked about i'm not sure you put it quite this way so please you know if, if i'm getting your sentiments wrong just just correct me of course but you talked i think uh i I'm thinking about the story of of billy graham's mother billy graham for those who are not in north america is a very, very i think pretty much the most famous and, and influential american pastor of the last i don't know 800 years how old is he still alive i think I no he might have been he might have died recently but he's you know influence presidents and he's, you know, been televangelist for many years. And is, but his mother uh, was, was proud to not, to overcome her own instincts and to not intervene when Billy Graham's dad was beating the living crap out of him a, as a boy by basically saying, well, uh, you know, uh, the, the father is the head of the household. He is inspired by God. It is my duty to obey the husband as he obeys God and so on. And her natural instincts To intervene when her child is being beaten were really and uh, pridefully, I got the sense of in the passage you quoted, uh, squelched by this sense of religious duty and obligation. And in the same way, when you talk about uh, the very powerful chapter that you have on female and male circumcision, the the woman who says to the doctor, uh, "You know, if I'd had a gun when you were cutting the tip of my boy's penis off, I think I would have shot you." Uh, Or I think I don't. She says, "I would have shot you." Not even I think the the power of ideology to to overcome what. I think most biologists would say a pretty primal human instinct to take care of your young, to protect them from harm, and so on, is incredibly powerful, and I think gives lie to the fact where people say, "Well, these doctrines have no influence on parenting."
1: Right, especially if the person is raised with those doctrines from birth. And again, I think it goes back to this, um, this, this uh, idea that that a, a child, and then later an adult, will will receive love, whether it's God's love, a parent's love, or uh, religious leaders love that, that all of that will be theirs if they follow these rules and if they are, uh, completely obedient. So, you know, Mrs. Graham, uh, was proud of herself because she was doing what she had been taught was, was the right thing to do was, uh, and, and, and as a result of her obeying that, you know, there was some reward there in terms of, uh, uh, people, people respecting her uh, or appreciating her. I, I, you know, I can't, I can't talk about her uh, on a on a very individual level. I didn't know the woman, and I, I uh, just read her her autobiography. But that one particular passage, passage did, I think, really uh, point out how subtle these kinds of influences are, where there's actually a reward for not recognizing a child's need for protection, for safety. Uh, for the need to develop one's mind and that kind of thing. And I think if the if a parent is brought up with that uh, from, from birth, then you're just going to see this cycle continuing.
0: Yeah, just by the by, I mean reading um read one of a hugely influential book in my life was paul johnson's intellectuals i don't know if you've ever read it but it's a, a sort of a, a history of the childhood and adulthood and moral choices of some very prominent intellectuals in the 20th century uh, and reading the history of of the childhood histories of u.s presidents and and so on i mean the amount of unprocessed pathology in public figures makes you wonder if <laughs> the entirety of society might just be incredibly traumatized and not notice it um that's no, just a minor a minor point there but um so this, I think the book has been out, is it two years now? No, one year. One year. Uh, and um, how's it How's it going? How's your baby doing in the world? Uh, what kind of uh, feedback are you getting? Uh, obviously, uh, you've got some incredibly glowing feedback from me. Of course, I know that's all that matters to you. But, <laughs> but from the people who've reviewed the book uh, are giving it very positive feedback. I imagine, though, that there may have been a darker whiplash to the book's reception. Uh, how's that been going?
1: Well, uh, I think so far, the, the folks that really need to, to hear about these problems haven't uh, rushed to the bookstore to to buy them. Mm. So the uh, majority of people that have read it are those who are survivor, survivors themselves, uh, those who work with children and have been concerned about these problems, including clergy. Uh, so yes, I've gotten a lot of very positive feedback, and uh, uh, people express a lot of gratitude uh, that that it's... That it's out. One one woman, when, when I gave a talk at the, the First Baptist Church of Austin, uh, a woman came up to me at the end, quite emotional, and she said, "Thanks for giving it a name." I think that in of itself has given given people something to to hold on to to understand that there's this recognized uh, uh, abusive pattern that, that they were they were victimized by. Um, I uh, I I want. I want more people to to read this book, or at least hear about the issue. Who need to hear about it? And so, one thing that I'm doing is trying to reach out to religious leaders. Uh, I think most of those who want to hear about it, as well as churches and religious organizations, uh, tend to be progressive and liberal. And uh, my hope is that uh, I can I, I can I can sort of pass this information off to them and 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 have them. Figure out the right way to approach the more conservative believers uh, and the more extremist believers which uh, whose communities uh, are where these problems are occurring
0: Right and if you don't mind me asking a mildly personal question, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of the book, you came in you know and I, I don't mean to trivialize your your history with a, a, a pat summation, but uh, secular Judaism, kind of under the radar, um, going to synagogue once in a while, not particularly religious. Um, has has your worldview changed? I mean, the the research, the interviews, I mean, how has your worldview changed? Uh, I assume it has to some degree over the course of, of researching and writing this book.
1: Oh, I can't really say that, that it has. Um, I, I can say I've been astounded by the intensity of religiosity i didn't realize existed in this country uh where where people believe that if they they beat a child then you know demons are going to escape out of their body i mean that to me is just incredibly bizarre and extremist um and 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 many other uh beliefs and and behaviors that are just you know customary at a certain point you know circumcision is is a great example you know where uh uh, we we find it abhorrent and abusive that uh, that people would conduct uh, female genital cutting, uh, even if it's you know a very mild version of it. And yet, uh, to to do a similar version or even more extreme version, uh, which is the complete removal of the foreskin babies, is is okay. You know, to me, it's just shocking. And and a lot of that is uh, is not even religiously motivated. Although there are some Christian-based beliefs that. Uh, gave rise to both girls and boys being cut in this country in the early part of the century, and, and, in a, and it extended uh, even until the, the 60s and uh, um, some, some believe beyond uh, the The uh, Blue Cross was covering clitoridectomies uh, in, in the 1970s. So, um, you know, when wow. something is, is customary. If it's what everybody is doing, finding children's feet in China, I mean, uh, I'm I just amazed that people are willing and will fight to keep doing something because everyone else is doing it, even though it's incredibly abusive.
0: And then, of course, uh, all the teachers and preachers and parents in the world will say to children who want to follow the crowd, well, if everyone jumped off the Empire State Building, would you do it too? Sorry about your foreskin. Anyway, sorry, that's a minor... (laughs) thing that I, I just always remember being told not to follow the crowd by people who were reproducing some rather crazy cultural that beliefs themselves was
1: when the children were being bad and you wanted to join them so they were trying to talk you out of
0: oh yeah yeah that's that's a group we don't agree with and and it was something that again the book has um it had these lightning strikes for me of, of clarity where you, you point i think it was a baptist church that you were talking about when a child you know because they have these Oh, I remember two or three hour services of droning. I remember that I was in a church choir when I was in boarding school in England. And I mean, these services just, I mean, it was like, I think I got it. I think they were really designed to give you a taste of what purgatory was like so that you'd avoid it. But um, uh, they, uh, they they point out, you point out in the book that the belief is in some circles that if a child disrupts the service, that's not actually the child who's doing it. It's the devil. It's the devil working through the child, and so when you assault the child, when you attack the child, even if you just terrify the child with streams of verbal abuse and threats, you're actually saving the child from the devil who is attempting to disrupt his path to heaven. And again, that takes—that's a kind of weird Darth Vader helmet of perspective to put on. But the way you describe it in the book, it actually—it had a real click moment for me where I really do understand it is a twisted kind of. Love. I mean, I hate to say this, It's a twisted kind of love, in in a way. Just, was that your experience at all in in thinking about this or writing about? Um, it?
1: I can only say about that that you know maybe psychologically they're 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 distancing themselves from their their love of their child to be able to attribute this bad thing to this third party demon or evil force. Uh, but but you know uh, I I think that when there are uh, pressures for 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 people to control their children uh, and and if, for example, not not cry in a service, not fidget in a service, and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, there there can be all kinds of justifications so that parents feel okay about whether it's beating the crap out of their kids, or 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 locking them in a room for three days, or whatever the punishment might be.
0: But it struck me like you know, if if you, if if your kid has you know. I say, God forbid, if you kid has leukemia, you go through chemotherapy or something, that's very painful and unpleasant for your child, but it's with the purpose of saving him. And if you genuinely do believe in the devil, the devil's going to take the soul of your child. burn I mean, it just, it could be a kind of like a chemotherapy argument that that they, if they genuinely believe it. And it's hard to know exactly what religious people, but well, it's hard to know what anyone believes, but it's hard to know what religious people actually believe and what they're just quoting. But I can certainly see that if you accept the essence of the argument that the devil is trying to take your, you know, you're in this cosmic tug of war for your, your, the soul of your child, and the only way to drive the devil out is to chastise the child physically. Again, if you, if you kind of put that belief system in place, I don't believe it's objectively morally justified, but I could see how you could find it a good action. Uh, and again, I, I know this is, uh, I would, I'd always try and put myself in the other person's shoes, you know, strange and uncomfortable that they may be at times. But I, I think, and I'm not saying that you... Would call this love or any kind of benevolent treatment. Obviously, it's oh, not. It's oh, completely abusive. Oh. But I can't see how the perspective could could but work so uh, in that in that way.
1: Is that so? So much of this abuse is perceived by the perpetrator as being good for the child. If I cleanse my child of sin or get this demon out of the body, I make that child more heaven worthy. What more could a parent do for a child? So if you have that kind of belief, you know, there's really no end to what can be done. If 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 they have if they have a that kind of belief. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that is, that is what's the, the biggest hurdle to get over and why I, I feel like I must rely on people of faith to, to try to translate this message in a way that can be perceived and understood and absorbed is, is because I think, you know, most rational people, uh, couldn't even get their, their arms around the idea that, that by, by, um, putting this person through this, uh, this, this ritual where they have to walk through a ring of fire and that kind of thing, uh, is, is actually good for, for that child. Or we're going to, we're going to pray over this child who really just needs some insulin to save their life. Uh, you know, it, 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 would, that, that mindset is, is very difficult. I think for, for any, um, for any loving parent who, who, who is educated hasn't been raised in that, that kind of culture to, to really understand. But, but yeah, that having, having this perception that they're actually helping their child, um, I, I think is incredibly insidious and, and makes, makes these kinds of abuses really hard to stop.
0: Oh, yeah, and, and certainly I think anyone with a more secular perspective sees a, any parent standing over their quivering child with a belt and will, will say that the only devil in the room is the parent. Uh, there's nothing else that's motivating it. Now, I d- you didn't seem to touch on this in the book, um, and this may be an unfair question to at you from the sidelines, but I'll, you, know, you can bat it away if it's irrelevant. But certainly some of the people that you talked to who were uh, uh, the, the SNAP uh, organizer and some of the other people you talked to had lost their their faith or gained their reason or however they had become uh, atheists or agnostics or maybe even deists. you could say what did you talk with anyone about the relationship that they had with their parents when they lost their faith because i think that of course is a particularly challenging transition point for religious families if you have a child who uh who becomes an atheist or or secularist or someone secular humanist because of course, if if the parent is is truly committed to the faith, then he's going to burn in hell. Or they, you know, they the, the know. devil won. They're never going to be together after after the life uh, after life. I mean, even if you, you know, it's like, oh, you're you're an atheist. Good. I, I thought, oh, you're only gay. Good. I thought you might be an atheist or something. But, but uh, did you have any sense of of how any of those conversations went or what happened with? uh, with, with, I mean, it just seems weird to me to choose an imaginary friend over your own flesh and blood. That's just my perspective. But, uh, did you have any conversations with people about if they came out as non-religious, to religious parents?
1: Oh, oh, sure. I mean, um, and, and, the, and the, the decision to do that, you know, uh, d- depends on, on all sorts of, of things really, really, you know, having to do with their particular relationship. I mean, uh, so, some some people are going to feel comfortable with that. Uh, if but, you know, well, I, I would say if the, if the parents are still part of the belief system, then then I, I can't imagine anyone feeling comfortable with with saying that uh, if they actually want to pursue a great relationship with with their parents. Um, the the problem, of course, is that if uh, the parents are still part of this uh, authoritarian belief system, uh, that the child is taking the adult child is taking a huge risk by, by discussing it with discussing it with the parents. Um, oftentimes they don't even get that opportunity because, as you say, um, it, it, if the child has left the faith, and again, back to that dissent from the Supreme Court decision regarding the Amish uh, taking their kids out of school. I mean, he, he pointed out that uh, when when somebody leaves, in that's, that case, the Amish faith, uh, again, I'm just pretty much talking about the more cons- conservative plans. Uh, they are believed to be bound for hell, and they are very often completely cut off from the social network. So they may not even have the opportunity to have any kind of discussion with the parents. It's usually relegated to something like, well, just so I can coexist with them and say, see my nieces and nephews or younger siblings or something like that, you know, I'll wear the getup, you know, I'll I'll go along with the customs and that kind of thing. I'll just do what I have to do to, to keep the relationship going. Um, you no, know, but, but again, it's like coming out to, to parents. If, if somebody is gay, I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's going to take uh, all different forms depending on what their relationship is like and, uh, how the parents have or have not evolved.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, that this cutting off of, of, uh, unbelieving or atheistic children, or agnostic children, or children maybe who've joined another faith—it's, uh, I mean, it's a truly um, horrible fulfillment of Jesus's promise to come as a sword and cut off family ties and so on. It's, uh, it's tragic. Well. Um, is there anything that, that, you know, I always try to come up with some intelligent questions, not, not talk too much about what I believe. Is there anything that you wanted to mention? Uh, any, any future projects? Any speaking engagements? Anything else that you'd like to talk about? Uh, remember, it's religiouschildmaltreatment.com, or as you said, uh, breakingtheirwills.com, which can get you to the books. But what's, uh, what's, going, on, uh, what's going on for you next?
1: Um, well, I first do want to point out that uh, the second to last chapter of my book does propose solutions to eradicating religious child maltreatment. So it's not all bad news. Uh, as far as uh, my my speaking events, uh, I'm thrilled to say that I will be going to the UK in November and giving talks there, and I'm really looking forward to that because I think it'll be uh, really interesting to compare the reception there uh, to 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 what is to what is here in the United States. Uh, but uh, yeah, I um, I have been uh, doing that as well as forming uh, associations with as I said, religious leaders as well as humanist clergy uh, trying to um, reach out to parents and teachers and first responders, uh, child protective services, law enforcement, and that kind of thing to to help them to identify uh, when when a child is being religiously abused. Uh, One one partnership that I've formed uh, is Child Protection Institute, Uh, which is going to provide training for members of the clergy and teachers and and others who work with with kids. So uh, there's there's a lot of work to be done.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I, I really wanted to... To thank you, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you did on this book. It's a it's a grim subject matter matter to tackle. It's a controversial subject matter to tackle, and uh, I, I really wanted to just express my huge appreciation. You know, carbon-based life form to carbon-based life form for shining a light on this area because. As so many um, atheists, I'm you not know, putting you in this category necessarily, but as so many people who are not believers have pointed out, there does seem to be kind of a get-out-of-jail-free wall around certain religious uh, patterns or, or, or beliefs. And I, I think that we really need to uh, to start to expose uh, some of this stuff, and and to remind people that uh, where there is this authoritarianism, this demand for uh, for obedience and so on, there is a great deal of potential. As as you point out, um, a woman who's um, a, a great woman has been on my show, Elizabeth Gershoff, She pointed out okay. that. Um, there are significant uh, issues where uh, abuse arises out of uh, the desire to discipline, where there is a stronger need for discipline and control. You know, atheist abuse is all just chaos. Religious abuse is <laughs> a lot more about control. There is this great danger for escalation, and uh, it is not inherent in religiosity, but it is inherent in a lot of people's interpretation of religiosity. And I think we need to not, we need to to to, to stay focused on on the effects. Uh, The objective psychological and physical effects on the child, and just step around the belief system because the belief system can be a kind of maze of mirrors that can disorient us.
1: Exactly, and uh, I I always I always start out each section of the book uh, defining what is physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and so on. These things are definable. Uh, It's 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 possible to for people just to learn if they get on the web what constitutes uh, abuse of corporal punishment and that kind of thing. Well, some people think it's all, it's all abusive, but, uh, there, there, it's, it's really important to understand what, um, what defines abuse and what defines neglect and that kind of thing. So we can just uh, look at that and say, okay, yes, as you say, strip away the religious influence and determine, uh, regardless of the, of, of the motivation, uh, of the perpetrator, was this child a victim. And uh, I think if we could just l- look at things that way, um, we we can really do do a lot of good to not let uh, some of these religious beliefs get in the way of helping kids and protecting them and keeping them safe.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone, to me, it's just, I call it the Harvey Principle. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie with... Um, is uh, so it James Stewart who's got the big giant invisible yep. rabbit that follows him around and tells him what to do um I, I I took I took very seriously when I was reading about Voltaire or reading Voltaire's work uh this this um I think it was in the in the 18th century, they had this whole genre of literature where space aliens or or uh, I guess from them, it was like savages from the New World or so on. People who'd never been to France would come to France and just everything would be incomprehensible and ridiculous to them because it was their way of trying to get people's perspective out, as you've talked about, this this historical Indiana Jones giant ball momentum of history and have us look at the world that we live in with fresh eyes. And this is a very great challenge. Uh, so I also sort of say, well, okay, um, according to this a book, I'm allowed to do this. And it's like, well, according to uh, Harvey, my pet rabbit, I'm allowed to do this. Uh, it, it only matters what this is. It doesn't matter where it came from. It only matters the, the, the this that is happening. Uh, and so, again, I want to give you <laughs> your summation of the book. But I, I think that we have to uh, really focus on the events rather than the ideology.
1: And can we please... Let go of this uh, irrational fear that our religious freedoms are going to be ripped away at any second. Um, That has been a big problem in motivating people to to do horrible things to kids, and oftentimes perpetrators are going to, you know, proclaim religious freedom is the reason why they 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 did something and why they they should have been allowed to do something to to kids. So uh, I I you know I I don't know where that comes from uh, that uh, what what seems. to me, often to be a paranoia, uh, our religious freedoms, uh, to me, are, are not in huge jeopardy, and they're certainly not more important than the, the rights of children to live happy, safe lives.
0: Uh, I think that is a perfect note to end on. Again, Janet Heimlich, thank you so much for the book. Thank you so much for your insights, your energy, your time, and your commitment. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thanks so much, Stefan.